This is Farmer's Kitchen with Spinnies on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer and this is Farmer's Kitchen brought to you by Spinnies, your foodie fix. And it was, of course, all about what to eat, where to eat and who to eat it with. Marking World Sleep Day with sleep consultant Julie Mallon. What are some of the dishes, the ingredients that can help you get a good night's kip? She was on hand to help tell you what you should be having tonight and, crucially, not having. Rounding up the latest food news with executive chef Carmen of Brunch and Cake. What guide could be coming to town? And what ingredient can you expect to see on menus across the city? A duo of chefs. It was Chef Kong from Nonya and Chef Mauro from Beach Bar and Grill and celebrities who are joining us talking about what's on their menus and their influences too. We were speaking to Samaya of Taka Snacks, a company that has really got the globe front and centre when it comes to their foodie philosophy. And yes, their snacks are delicious too. And happy holy, marking the celebrations with a delicious array of colourful food with Davina, the digital editor of Nourish and Spinney's. Prepare to get messy. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. It's National Sleep Day. Julie Mallon from Nurture to Sleep is live on the line. It's an annual event celebrating the importance of sleep and one area that greatly affects the quality of our kip is food. Julie Mallon with us to take your questions, your concerns and to tell us what we should and indeed shouldn't be eating before we go to bed. Julie, would it be weird to say Happy World Sleep Day? No, not at all. It's the best thing to say. Okay. I don't know if there are cards for those in, in, in the community, but I'm, I'm sending you best wishes this, uh, this World Sleep Day. Now, I, um, I, mean, I don't know anyone who doesn't love their sleep, but I know an awful lot of people that struggle with sleep. And I just wondered, you know, you've obviously done a lot of academic research. You work with clients of all ages. Is there a scientific connection between what we eat and the quality of the sleep we get? There, are, there is more and more research now that is really showing the correlation between what we eat, what we don't eat, and how that impacts how we sleep. Mm. Um, It's very interesting. So with teenagers, for example, if we're looking at certain foods with teenagers and caffeine, all the research that's out there was not specific enough around children and teenagers. So a lot of that research was not applicable to teenagers and children, but now it is. So it's actually quite exciting, um, the research that's coming out. You, as I said, you do work a lot with little ones. We've had a couple of questions relating to kind of babies and toddlers, but let's keep it with adults because we are the ones that can ultimately control what we eat to an extent. Um, what should we have before bed for optimum sleep menu? What would you put on that menu, Judy? Well, the first thing is when you're eating. That's mm. important, not just what you're eating, but when you're eating. And there, are, of course, it is very, very individual, just like our sleep needs are individual. You know, um, for myself and, say, my second daughter, our sleep needs are seven hours, whereas my eldest and youngest is different and my husband's is different. The food is the exact same. It's about how we metabolize food. So certainly if we're looking at the research, it's suggesting that we limit our food intake four to five hours before we go to bed. I know. No chance in my household. Are you serious? Yeah, Julie, yeah. I go to bed at about half past nine. That would mean having my dinner at half past four. That's like, <laughs> that's okay. So that's optimum. I mean, I'm, I'm certain you probably shouldn't be having, you know, your your curry and you know a, a roast dinner five minutes before you go to bed. Would a couple of hours interim be okay, please? <laughs> yes, it would, and it depends on you. You know, the reason why they're giving this um, advice about it being four to five hours is because. 
looking at the research, there's certain foods that can have an impact. Mm. We know that having, you know, curry, for an example, can, and, and spicy, that can cause um, reflux, that can cause different, but it, I mean, if you have been brought up on curry, it's actually not going to do you any harm at all, is it? And you can mm. eat that half an hour before bed. It's all about how it impacts you and your sleep. And invariably, identifying the link between foods that we are eating to um, to how it's impacting our sleep. That's really important. So, Julie, are there any foods that have specific qualities or vitamins, minerals, chemicals even, that can be helpful in making you feel sleepy? Um, so, again, there's lots of research around milk. And I know it was an old wives' tale, you know, have a glass of milk before you go to bed. But actually, again, the research is really supporting the fact that milk helps us mm. sleep. Now, why it helps us sleep? And for me, another really exciting um, advance in the research is not only do we know that milk contains tryptophan. Now, tryptophan boosts our melatonin. That's what's really, and that's, melatonin is the hormone that signals the brain to prepare our bodies for sleep. Now, interestingly, and again, I go off at a tangent, but this is why we don't want to be eating too late because once that melatonin, that sleep hormone, has been released into our blood system, which is for adults is about 9, 9.30, mm-hmm. then everything slows down. So if you're having a really heavy meal, then the body is going to be working too hard mm-hmm. digesting the food. So going back to the milk. Interesting, okay. Yeah. So, so, your, so your body would be... Um, I guess, working when it should be resting. So, for, for, I mean, yeah. you, you mentioned um, milk there, and that is a bit of a thing, you know, have a cup of warm milk and, you know, it's calming and it's comforting, but there is some science in it. Oh, there absolutely is science in it. And the other thing which is now um, really exciting is that we know they've discovered that milk contains something, it's, it's a peptide and it's a casein. And what they have discovered is that by having that milk containing the casein, it actually reduces stress and helps us sleep better. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. It is World Sleep Day and Julie Mallon from Nurture to Sleep is live on the line to help you out with any questions or concerns you might have about sleep and talking about the role that food does have. Julie, I said earlier, I think it's a, it's a very common joke and you know stereotype that Christmas dinner makes you hungry. Hun- makes you hungry, doesn't make you hungry, makes you sleepy. Is there any science in that when we think about what's on the plate or is it merely a case of overindulgence no not at all again there's lots of science around the fact that turkey does contain tryptophan and tryptophan boosts melatonin so uh, there is definite science just like for example um fatty fish is really helpful for sleep and we know that fatty fish is for example because it contains it's got a really good dose vitamin d and omega-3 And these are the two nutrients that we need to help regulate serotonin. And of course, we know that serotonin is largely responsible for establishing that fixed sleeping and waking cycle. So, you know, I mean, there was a a really good study in 2014, I think it was, that um, it demonstrated that if we had three pieces of salmon, um, three pieces of salmon per week, we fell asleep faster. And this is children too, Mm. fell asleep faster and slept better in a deeper sleep than if we'd had chicken, beef 
or any kind of call. Interesting. All right. I would love yeah. to be part of a sleep study. Um, we've got going, <laughs> going to the text line. G has been in touch saying, I can have an espresso five minutes before going to sleep and have no problems at all. Should I be worried? My husband is exactly the same. He'll be having you know, two double espressos after dinner, you know, 10.30 at night and is out annoyingly like a light. Are, they, are these lucky people actually lucky? Are they getting the sleep that you think they could be? Or as you said, is it super individual? Yes, it is individual. And it's very interesting because um, I know you know of uh, Matthew Walker, for example. Yes. So he brought that incredible book out and he was saying how terrible coffee is and it's really bad for us. But he's actually reviewed what he's been saying because he's reviewed the research. Now, it, it's still very definite about... We might think we sleep okay, but actually if we were to plot our night by using a particular sleep study, um, you know, with the electrodes on the head, it would show us, most people, that their deep sleep, so let their deep three sleep, is very, is considerably shorter. And that's really the memory restoration and all the other things that we get with that deep three. Okay. It is definitely less in people who have the coffee. But on the other hand, we know that you know, the coffee bean is an incredible antioxidant. So it's, not, it's about not, not taking it, but when we take it. Mm-hmm. And understanding the effect it has on your body. So, gee, if you're having no problems, knock yourself out. Mm. Um, let's focus on little ones. We've got a couple of questions. I hope we've got just a few minutes to you. If you don't mind offering some quick snips of insights, that would be great. Saskia says, I'm combination feeding our three-month-old and looking to get into routine with him soon. Is formula milk more filling than breast milk and therefore better at bedtime? I'm getting confused can you help Saskia there okay so there there is lots of conflicting advice but just looking very quickly molecules of protein within formula milk are much bigger than the molecules of protein within breast milk so breast milk is digested far quicker than the formula which is why it appears that babies sleep longer but it's just that the food is being digested but really what we're looking at try and um a a happy mummy is a happy baby Absolutely right. So maybe try both, see what works for your little one. But yeah. interesting, conf- conflicting advice. Um, and Carrie says, I've got a 15-month-old who's always been a bit tricky to settle, usually wakes at least three times in the night, can scream the house down and needs settling every time. I wonder if I'm feeding things that she's struggling to digest, meat and veg, egg and toast, risotto, etc. Any rec- recommendations for evening meals with little ones to help them settle? What's, what's worked for you with your own girls, but also with clients in the past Well, the first thing is how this little one is falling asleep. If this little one is falling asleep, having lots of assistance or even a little assistance, then they're going to wait throughout the night. And then when it comes to food, if, you know, one of the girls hadn't eaten very well particularly, um, then I'd always give them a sleep smoothie. And a sleep smoothie is contains all the really good fats. So coconut milk, anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, um, avocado, lots of fiber, but not too much it's going to... Um, and because this little one's 15 months, a teaspoon of honey, which is fantastic for sleep. So, um, and spinach, iron, which is really good for the brain and sleep. So making that sleep smoothie. Now, if we're looking at other foods for the evening meal, 
salmon, salmon. again. <laughs> Sales yeah. of salmon and spinnies going through the yeah. roof this weekend from exhausted <laughs> parents. So worth uh, worth having a little play around. I love the idea of a sleep smoothie. I might have a give have a give that myself. Is there, is there banana in it? If there's banana, I'm out. Yeah. Oh, yep, absolutely. No, no, banana in it. Okay, I might have to make a banana free. Julie, thank you so much. We've had a um, message here from Sabrina saying how to get in touch with Julie. Um, it's Nurture to Sleep. Julie, what's the best way of getting in touch with you? Um, on my Instagram page, probably. And the Nurture 2 is number two as opposed to T-O. Well, sleep well tonight. I'm sure you always do. And as I said, happy World Sleep Day to you, Julie Mellon. Have a lovely, lovely weekend ahead. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. It is all about food news this afternoon and in conversation now with Chef Carmen Landsberg, the exec chef of Brunch and Cake. I have to say, not only one of my favourite places for breakfast, but definitely one of the most photogenic spots in Dubai. We're talking the latest food news from hottest ingredients to uh, what's happening around town. Chef Carmen, how are you? I'm good, thanks. And how are you? I am very well, thank you. As I said, your cafes are just absolute, not only picture perfection, but the dishes are so artfully created. You must you must be one of the most Instagrammed cafes in the city. Fair to say? It is fair to say. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Which is wonderful. But you it's know. a lot of fun. It's a lot of good. fun. Good. Do you, do you find people have people coming in and don't even want to look at the menu? Or they'll just hold up their phones and say, I want to eat this that I've seen on someone's Instagram account. Yeah, that is often. Or they just go on the Instagram and they're like, oh, can I have this, please? And we're like, sure. <laughs> but it's it's gorgeous. It's, you know, it's elevated breakfast food. You've got a lobster shakshuka that I adore. Of course, um, avo toast, but, you know, a next level. Drinks and pastries and all sorts. And yes, of course, cake. Um, so we're going to be exploring your menu and, and what's uh, what's been happening there, but also talking about the latest food news. And I uh, I got an interesting invitation earlier this week, which was... Michelin Guide invites you to Museum of the Future. And this is all I know. I've got no more news to share on this apart from some food writers and journalists have been invited to the Museum of the Future later this month by Michelin. So could this mean the guide is coming to Dubai? We don't know, (laughs) to be honest. But I'm keen. I mean, what do you think? Do you think we we need this in, in the city? Do you think Dubai's got enough places to warrant a few stars, Carmen? I think so. Honestly, I think it's time. Like Dubai has so much to offer and, you know, lots of chefs work really hard and Mm. even chefs that have Michelin back star, like, uh, sorry, that have Michelin star rating and they often come to Dubai. And I think it is something that Dubai needs. We have a lot to offer and I'm sure many chefs will appreciate that, like, you know, next level recognition so i think it is really important that the map i think with the michelin yeah i think it's an interesting point that you know some some people come here and there might be a gap in their in their star cv you know whether they've come from you know uk you know singapore hong kong you know even some specific cities have their own guides as well as you know, countries all over the world. And I feel like, you know, maybe we have been a little bit conspicuous by our absence in, in that aspect. And maybe it, well, we've obviously had um, 50 best MENA region in the last month as well. But I feel like sometimes these awards are meaningful because they encourage a bit more competition and encourage kitchens to kind of up their game. Um, so I will keep you posted. I'm not able to go to the event, but I know people who are going. So we don't know if Michelin's coming, well, but I'm I just jealous. know we've... Oh, I, wish I, could, we, I wish I could pass on my invitation, but they're being very strict about it all. Um, now, I want to talk to you about food trends um, and kind of get a, an idea of 
you know, you as a chef, you must, you know, be in all sorts of different foodie communities and have WhatsApp groups and dine out and be inspired by things you see online, but also travels as well. Um, Are there ingredients that you feel are on the up that we might be spotting on menus, including yours, Carmen, at Brunch and Cake over the course of 2022? Uh, Definitely, yes. I think um, what I've really noticed, like making a big comeback is hibiscus, Mm. Uh, not just in a tea format, because obviously it's got great health benefits as well. And usually people have it in teas, but I've seen lately that people are making like, uh, like slushies with them. They're incorporating them in you know, like different ways into their food and savory things. So I was pretty surprised with that. I mean, I've used hibiscus before and obviously like in a tea format and things, but it really is exciting. I think it, that is making a big comeback in flavor. And I think in terms of, you know, general trends and stuff, I see huge local support. I think that that's, that's really, really big for Dubai or like UAE in general at the moment. Like I know me myself as an executive chef in, in brunch and cake, like I'm really trying to like, you know, go more towards local support 100%. That's mm-hmm. like a massive trend that I've noticed like in each individual country even like there's massive support in their own local because um, it has you know has historically been quite difficult to do that in Dubai yeah. you know with that the technology um, hasn't really been there the infrastructure hasn't really been there but we've seen I mean I've been in Dubai 15 years but certainly in the last five um, you know farmers mm. markets growing excuse the pun um, <laughs> but it, but it's hard to know where the demand comes from you know is it from chefs such as you who are keen for that seasonality and that taste is it us as diners who you know are thinking about how far has my food traveled um, you know it's, it's the kind of it's really interesting to see how it's all coming together to create that demand you know is there anything that you feel like the UA is growing really well that you, you're able and happy to work with Carmen? Uh, yeah 100% I think the the buzz going around like about the supporting local i think for me as a chef it's going to be interesting to see like when people start supporting more locally and things it's going to be interesting to see what actually the uae like the local flavors and things mm-hmm. and like when people start i think it's going to get really massive like i know of a huge project like of a farming project going on and i think it's going to be amazing and i think so many chefs that I talk to in the industry, they're just so keen to, you know, support the local market. You know, where you're staying, it's about supporting the people, I think, 100%. You know, the homegrown brands, the the small farmer on the 100%. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be massive. And I'm really, really interested, interested to see where it's going to go in the next five years. I mean, I've been here for six years now and it's just... The things that I've seen in my time is just it's really progressing like really quickly. Yeah, watch the space. Um, we have yeah, got yeah, uh, we've got Chef Carmen Lansbury with us, the exec chef of Brunch and Cake. Um, we're talking about the latest food news. We've heard Michelin has having an event. We don't know if Michelin Guide is coming to Dubai. I'm curious to get your take on this. We've had some mixed uh, mixed reports. When you go out, and it could be for a, for a takeout, burger and fries. What do you eat first? <laughs> do you eat the fries first or do you have the burger first the world is divided I'm going to be getting Chef Carmen's take on this you can send me the emojis if you want fries first and then the burger or burger and then the fries for me bite to the burger 
couple of fries, back to the burger, fries at the end. I don't want to be filling up on potatoes necessarily. Surely it's about the protein. As I said, the world is divided. It is all about the big topics this afternoon. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Talking about what's happening in the world of food with Chef Carmen Landsberg, the exec chef of Brunch and Cake. They've got venues here in Dubai at the Point and Wassel 51 and in our nation's capital as well. And I have to say, next level breakfast, but the pastries and the cakes are just incredible. Where does your passion lie, Chef, when it comes to what you're creating in the kitchen? Because obviously pastries are very separate, different discipline. Yeah, so... I mean, with a pastry, you definitely need to have patience, I think, because mm. it is it is a bit more technical, I would say, like, you know, measuring. But I would 100% say that, like, my passion is with the fire in the kitchen. It's always, you know, I've, I've, I've ran my own little pastry um, kitchen when I was working in Cape Town because it's obviously amazing but for some reason i just kept going back to the fire and the <laughs> flames and the heat of the kitchen and the adrenaline so that's really where my passion lies but i love eating cake like <laughs> 100% like eating is my favorite part of all of this so my passion is definitely in both but i think i really drive off of the pressure and the creativity of within the hot kitchen it's interesting a, a good friend of mine is a chef and she worked her way up like hardcore in canada and then london and she kept on being put in stations that she wasn't that interested in. she wanted to be on the grill and as a female yeah. chef you know was kind of pushed back a few times and she ended up going home one night and shaving her head and coming in the next morning going, I am ready, put me on the grill. I was like, yeah. okay, you, you do what you got to do to get to where you want to be. I love it. So, no, yeah. 100%. I think I've been a few steps away from doing the same thing. It's like, listen to me. I am ready. This is where I want to be. Um, I wanted to ask you about, this is a bit of, bit of, a, a, bit of a tangent, but I'm kind of curious. So I ordered my lunch before, as you might guess from my band name. I had sushi. And for a rare... Rare beautiful moment, I had cash in my purse. So I tipped the driver with cash. This has not been the case on the whole for the last couple of years because of contactless payment. You know, COVID has definitely affected the way we interact with drivers and wait staff. And there's been a study out of the um, out of the US. And obviously, it's from America, not for here. But I'm kind of curious, Carmen, to get your, get your take on this. Apparently, tipping is decreasing. And I'm makes me really sad. I mean, America's obviously got a huge tipping culture because of the, of the salaries going to wait staff. But can you kind of shed a bit of light on how, how, and how much and when do you feel like we should be tipping when it comes to restaurants and even how it works in brunch and cake? You know, if you give, if you, give you know, 30 dirhams in your, in your bill, is that going to the, to the staff? Or how do, can you break it down and demystify it a bit for us, Carmen? So I think, you know, I must agree with you. I think tipping has like, not being that great, especially when it comes to delivery and mm. things like that. I think those those guys do suffer. But, you know, in brunch and cake, to be really honest, like, I think we're really lucky. Like, in, in brunch and cake, I haven't felt it that much. Like, our customers, they are really generous. Like, our front-of-house staff, they make sure that when the customer comes in, they have a great experience from the beginning and the best experience that we can give to our our guests and we try to obviously make them feel as at home as much as possible because that is what our philosophy and brand is all about. I mean, mm -hmm. it's about like your grandma, you know, and 
I think we haven't felt it that much in brunch and cake and all of our staff keep their tips. So if you cash, if you tip cash, they they just keep that waiter that served you or whomever served you, they they keep that to themselves. And up until now, to be honest, like our guests are quite generous. I mean, none of our staff really like walk away saying, oh, oh it's, been, like, it's been a rough day. Disappointed or, and I think yeah. You- and I mean, even as well, brunch and cake is really good. I'm really lucky to say that actually, because it's not, it doesn't apply for all, but we really do. Like, even if you pay with your credit card, it's that when you tap and whoever closed it, it closes with their name. So mm-hmm. we know exactly who deserves those credit cards mm-hmm. and at the, you know, at the end of every month or whenever we distribute them to the staff, straight into their bank accounts with their salaries and everything. So, well, thank you. I mean, it's, I, I think say, it's really yeah. important. I think, I think it's really because, you know, and I'm not taking away from you as an executive chef, food is incredibly yeah. important, but it is yeah. often the wait staff that make an experience and we don't just go out for food. You know, we go out to have that experience to be in a beautiful space and have an atmosphere and, you know, earwig mm. on what the couple at the next table are saying and guess if they're on a first date or not. And, you know, <laughs> but, but wait staff can really set the tone for that for that yeah. whole thing from, from start to finish. And I think, you know, so often they're not treated with the respect that they deserve, whether it is, you know, is eye contact or please or thank yous or, you know, a, a tip as well. So thank you for that. I think it's um, well, uh, well, well raised. Um, now, we've run out of time, but I want to ask you, if someone's coming to Brunch and Cake over the weekend, Chef, what do you think they should be ordering? And you can choose breakfast, lunch, dinner, pastries, cakes, anything. Well, definitely, I'm going to say they should order many things, but <laughs> I'm going to probably give you my personal favorite one just because I I, I, I love it. So I'm definitely going to say go in and try our new selection of flatbread pizzas, and I'm definitely going to sneak in our big chili scrambled egg. It's definitely a hit, like it's it's definitely it's really delicious it's super it's even it's one of my favorites 100 comes with salmon scrambled egg it has a little uh, zucchini pancake so you're getting in your breakfast your protein okay i'm gonna let you have something there. sweet because i can't we can't leave without having something sweet the choice of cakes is obscenely wonderful what could yeah. you pick just one I wouldn't be able to pick yeah. <laughs> because I mean, even our French toast, they are insane. Like they're so massive and they're like delicious. Like Nutella French toast is like off the chart. <laughs> there you go. For for not just the Instagram moments, you can't just take the photo. You've got to eat it, people, and you will not regret it. Chef Carmen, thank you so no. much for joining us for some foodie chat. And I uh, think tummies rumbling across the uae brunch and cake here in dubai and in Abu Dhabi too thanks chef you're listening to farmer's kitchen on dubai i 103.8 we are celebrating food this afternoon and i always love to hear from you where have you been recently that you think really deserves a bit of a shout out a bit of recognition it could be a dish it could be a chef it could be a restaurant it could be even something you've made at home and you want to pat on the head i've honestly discovered some amazing places because of your messages so do get them in on four zero zero Use that ARN Play app and you can WhatsApp us now. In conversation now with the head chef of Nonya, it is the new heartbeat of JLT, which is one of my favourite foodie districts in the whole of the city. It's an Asian-inspired restaurant and we've got Chef Kong, the head chef, on the line with us now. How are you, Chef? Hi, how are you, Helen? 
I am very well. I'm worried you're going to make me hungry, to be honest. (laughs) So um, let's start, if you don't mind, with a little bit about the menu at this new restaurant. Pan-Asian, I think, is is a phrase that, you know, is used often with really good intentions because, you know, we get inspiration from all of our travels and our background. But sometimes it's too much on a menu and none of it's that great. But I've heard that you guys are doing things differently. What kind of food can we enjoy there? We are serving this uh, Singapore and Malaysian food. Uh, it's uh, not. It's different from the others. Uh, Pan-Asian. yeah. So it's more to curries. It's more to um, sour, sweet, spicy. Yeah. So where did you, where did you grow up, Chef? I'm growing in Malaysia, Sarawak, Malaysia, east of Malaysia. So tell us a little bit about the food you were having growing up. Who was cooking and what were you eating around the family table? Yeah, my grandmother was the one who cooked for us all the time, yes. <laughs> and, and what yeah. were you eating? Yeah, she always uh, used the local ingredients, something like tamarinds, chilies, all those, yeah. And now this is all kind of coming together and it's blending Southeast Asia, kind of some comfort foods you're talking there about the curries as well, but also some really fresh and healthy cooking methods. If we're going to come to Nanya over the weekend, what do you feel like you have to order to really understand what the restaurant's all about? I would suggest you the uh, black cod, Nyonya black cod. It's uh, one of our, the most popular food in Nyonya. Black cod. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We love introducing you to foodie concepts around the UAE. Sometimes it is long-standing favourites where we're getting to know the stories behind the dishes, meeting the people that have created a real, a real legacy um, of cuisine. Sometimes it is new places and we're lucky enough to have some incredible new openings. It is the season, um, including Nonya. It is in JLT and I have to say... From home, homegrown concepts, JLT is just one of the best parts of town. And Chef Kong is joining us. So Nanya is an Asian, I mean, we're hearing before, you know, Malaysian food, Singaporean in there as well. Um, Chef, you speak five languages. What languages do you speak? Oh, I speak Mandarin. I speak, I speak Cantonese, Malay, English. Yeah. Wow. So what's it like in oh. the kitchen? Where's the team from? Yeah, the team comes from all around the world. We have Indian, we have Indonesian, yeah, of course, me, Malaysian, yeah. So can I ask then, when it comes to putting together a menu, I, I'm always fascinated mm-hmm. about how you begin this process of, of creating a restaurant, because we know it's not just about the decor, although that's obviously very important. It's what you're really trying to communicate with the food and wanting to appeal to lots, but maybe wanting to make sure that communication is concise as well. Can you talk us through how you begin to put together the dishes on the menu and Nanya when it comes to tastings and trials and things going wrong and knowing that you've got something that will be on the menu forever? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, uh, I create variety of dish, yeah. Like Japanese, we have uh, sushi and from Southeast Asia, we have curries, we have the chicken rice, laksas, all those. Mm, so it will, it will not be boring. Mm-hmm. So this means <laughs> that if you are regular, you're still going to be able to get something that you enjoy every single time. So can I ask you, Chef, as well, about your own background? How did you know that you wanted to be a chef? Yeah, since I was a uh, very young age, I started to work in the kitchen since very young age, 15 years old. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. And why and why food? Why did you decide at such a young age this was going to be your career? Uh, it's because of uh, during the summer break, I have nothing to do, so I can make some pocket money. For <laughs> so it was but, practical. Uh, <laughs> it was wanting pocket money. But then you must have fallen mm-hmm. in love with it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I fell in love with it. I like busy. I love busy kitchen. Yeah. And, and I think for many people, you know, the idea of being a chef has changed a lot in the last decade or so. You know, we have celebrity chefs. We've got incredibly produced documentaries on Netflix. It's gone from mm-hmm. a job that perhaps wasn't that aspirational to actually something that a lot of young people think, you know, I want to be the next X, Y, Z, or I want to have my name above the door of a restaurant. What was your goal when you started? What was your ambition? My ambitions, yes. I My ambition is very simple. Just wanted to serve uh, good food, tasty food to my customer. That's all. <laughs> And now you're the head chef at JLT's yeah. hottest new restaurant. So who do you think it's for? Who do you think would enjoy the food at Nonya? All of the people in Dubai. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, <would say. laughs> I thought you might say that. <laughs> yes, I would say but, that. But in terms of price point, can I ask, you know, it's, it is licensed. It's a beautiful setting. Um, what kind of price point would you be looking at for a meal for two, for example? A meal for two, we are around four to five hundred dirham. Okay. As I said, you've got you know really premium products on there. You mentioned earlier the black cod. What about desserts? Yeah. Can you can you make us uh, hungry for this the sweet finish? Mm-hmm. Dessert. We do have this uh, from Malaysia and Singapore. Yeah, like the mango sticky rice, uh, um, sago gula melaka. Um, it's like Chinatown. I don't know what you know about the name. <laughs> it's like a street dessert in Singapore. Yeah. And a question here from uh, from Mariam on 4001 saying, um, if he speaks five languages, he must have travelled a lot. What's been his favourite restaurants in the world and why? Great question, Mariam. What, when you think about all of your travels and where, where you've been, are there any restaurants that have really inspired you? Mm-hmm. I think my favourite restaurant would be Hakasan. Which, ooh, which one? The original or here in the <clears throat> UAE? And Mot 32, Mot 32. I'm hungry. Yeah. Now, I think, um, as you say, Malaysian, Singapore, sweets yes, as well. Yeah, and have, have, having had a look at the decor of the restaurant as well, it looks like a very, very stylish place. So all the very best with the opening. I think the team sounds like, you know, they've got, uh, got a strong leader there and really excited to come along and try it and maybe try some dishes we've never tried before. Chef Kong, thank you so much for your time. I know on a Friday it is very busy in the land of restaurants. So really do yep. appreciate you uh, slipping out the kitchen for a quick chat. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Now, we've next we've got a company that's been creating delicious goodies, but also paying some extra attention to the company, the company, the planet. There really is front and centre. It's not about greenwashing or t- box ticking. This is a priority from the outset. Smaya is the founder of Taka Snacks. That's T-A-Q-A. Um, they're available here in the UAE. And Smaya, thank you for speaking with us. What was your background before starting this company? Thank you, Ellen, for having me uh, today. So my background comes from, so I originally studied anthropology and sociology, and I did a lot of uh, studies on uh, circular economies and what was happening to the food chain worldwide. So in my early 20s, that was a big uh, 
uh, a big part of me. And coming back to the Middle East in 2013, I embarked on the journey of uh, creating the first uh, vegan plant-based healthy snacks that were inspired from recipes from the Levant. So our stuffed cookies, so if, you know, our stuffed mamoun, which is uh, stuffed with dates or pistachio or walnuts. So we, we turned that into a healthy everyday snacks for children, for people with active lifestyles and everybody else. And we also have natural energy bars that are inspired from, from uh, the Levant flavors as well. So pistachio, orange blossom, hazelnut, cacao. So a whole, a whole assortment. And we're very, very happy today to be available that the products are available in Skinny's and Waitrose. That must have been quite a moment to have, you know, years of your ethos and research and passion, as you're saying, not just for, for recipes, but also for the environment, to then see it on the shelves and, it's, you know, people having huge, them in hand. It's a huge milestone for us, uh, especially having worked so hard uh, to, to be here today and what we've achieved, not just uh, with our recipes and I think our creative way of turning uh, our traditional recipes into something healthy, but also uh, we have a very, very transparent uh, roadmap to sustainability uh, and we work and it's not, you know, there's a lot of, I think, companies today that like to claim that they are sustainable. But at Taka, we really walk the talk. So we're, we're going uh, zero waste at the bakeries. So all of our waste is, we don't, there's no steward that carries waste outside the bakery into the landfill. So everything is recycled. We have compost, even for uh, today, we're creating, we've upcycled our flexible packaging into agricultural rods through uh, innovation that has happened uh, 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 by, by a partner in our roadmap of sustainability. Uh, we've worked, we've also given a coefficient to every snack produced in Tata. We know our CO2 footprint. So we did an eight-month study with environmental engineers to understand how much CO2 is emitted with every pack produced. And the total sum of that, we offset it by planting. And it's not just planting trees, but it's also thinking about the ecosystem. So we don't look at it as a tit-for-tat. We really look at it as a full uh, 360 ecosystem. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a concept. It's not... It's not CSR at Taka, it's really a bottom line. It's not, uh, we don't uh, consider the planet CSR. For us, it's profitability, people, planet. And uh, this is how we've always operated and we hope to be doing that for a very long time. I think more companies could be doing this. Um, I mean, the, I don't want to criticize and no one come at me on the text line, but um, we've heard of, you know, Boca restaurant here in Dubai talking about, um, you know, lack of, well, food waste really is a big thing for them. Um, but when it comes to products, I haven't heard of a company that's um, really being that transparent about their carbon footprint in, in the same way. Is that because they've got something to hide, do you think? I think it's very, very difficult in industries to, to really, it, it takes a lot of dedication and there is a cut there. You have to commit to it. And uh, you have to prioritize it as a business owner. Um, can I ask you as well about ingredients? Um, so you're very committed about not using palm oil. Can, can you explain why that is so significant when it comes to, I get the ESOS, but more so the planet and, uh, and animals as well, of course. So a big part of not using palm oil is due to deforestation. So palm oil is one of the, the number one crops worldwide that are used 
big part of the Amazon forest, which are the green lungs of our planet, uh, are being destroyed due to, because these the trees, they, they, uh, they grow very quickly and they're highly used in the industry. So as the, as the fat uh, of, our, of our baked goods, we don't use palm oil. We also don't use cereals that are genetically modified. Uh, so no wheat, no corn, no soy in any of our products. We've, uh, we've extensively gone through certifications in our bakery in order to attain these, uh, these claims. Uh, as well as uh, I always say is that the world doesn't need better products. We just need to learn how to, one, better sell them. And two, find, you know, why did we create these products? What is our end goal of it? Because we both know that today the planet cannot absorb more products, whether it's food, whether it's uh, consumables, whatever it is. So one really has to be dedicated and take into consideration the ingredients, even the supply chain. Who's working on the supply chain? Mm-hmm. Who are the suppliers? What are the what is their culture behind? The, you know, our our packaging, our paper, because we use boxes. The supplier of these paper sheets that we, out, we bring through a third supplier, they have the most amazing cultural DNA when it comes to the planet. They come from Finland. So it's, it's really also understanding where your raw material comes from. Mm-hmm. Do you compromise? Uh, do you not compromise? At what cost do you compromise? So there's cons. Every day it's a, you have to look at it again. And, and it's I a do not, Yeah, it's a choice. And I do not think that today we're in, in, in a comfort place where business owners should not take this into consideration. Like these are part of your part of your your decision making today as a as a business owner. It's vital. It, it, it is, and I think as consumers, it's a choice as well, you know, to educate yourself about what, what products are about, what their, what their values are. And of course, I'm, I'm not saying, um, you know, talking there about compromise, I'm not saying I'm going to eat, you know, this sack of dust because, it, you know, the packaging is, is zero waste. But it has, to, it has to be delicious, it has to be compelling. Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. So, so tell us what's on the shelves then. Talk us through the product range. You mentioned there. It's coming from, I guess, a kind of grandmother's kitchen, you know, some of the traditional it, it, recipes it, it, from the Levant. So it has, it has a very much a home-like, home-like taste to it. They're very delicious. So we have, uh, we have uh, currently at Spinney's, we've listed four, uh, one cookie, which is the dark, uh, the dark chocolate chip cookie. And so it's a traditional oat-based dark chocolate cookie. Then we have an orange biscuit, which is actually natural oranges. So, we take our oranges, we squeeze them, it's the zest of the oranges, also with cinnamon. And we have our stuffed uh, mamoul, our stuffed cookie, which is stuffed with dates. And then there's another snack that in the pack, it's snacked with is, uh, one cookie is stuffed with pistachio, one cookie is stuffed with walnut, and one cookie is stuffed with dates in one, in one, uh, in one pack. So we're giving variety. And our bars also, we have four bars. One is almond rose, one is pistachio orange blossom, one is coconut lemon, and one is hazelnut cacao. And they're all date and cashew based, but what makes our bars different, and I think that that's what makes us different a little bit on the shelf, is that we have distinct flavors. I think today a lot of these energy bars, there's a lot of, you know, yeah. packed ingredients, but at the end of eating, you know, you taste eating. the same. <laughs> but, but, but what's the flavor? So, yeah. so this is what I try to do. I distinguished it with this, uh, with this flavor. 
And what's been the kind of recipe testing process? I'm sure you've got more that you're planning at the minute. Talk us through yes. that. Yes, so we're, we are constantly looking at new ways of creating new products. And uh, we're currently looking into launching a savory line. We're still That's not very I, I was like, let's do some like, <laughs> let's do some Zato crackers. Yeah, yeah. Like so we're still very much in our early days, but the, the prototypes are looking very good and very delicious. And uh, again, with the with the mindset, uh, we're trying to go a little bit more local, also in our ingredients and our raw materials. So we're we're thinking about very many uh, many different flavors, but we're very much in the early days. I do I don't think we'll we'll be seeing any savory snacks till the end of the year, beginning beginning of next beginning. Of I next. will be patient, Samaya. Thank you so so much. I think it's Thank just really you. really fascinating to hear about the people and the message and the heart behind the products that we see every day in our supermarkets and the thought that's gone into it as you say you've made choices and compromises you've got the planet front and center as a priority rather than it being a greenwashing you know box exactly. um, and I think and that's uh, hopefully something a lot of companies can be inspired by whether they're new you know, starting out and putting their their values out on the table for new customers or an established company says do you know what maybe we could do better Yes, absolutely. And I, I mean, I invite everybody to check out our mission on our website because we're very transparent. We, t- we tell our consumers our shortcomings. We tell them where we're still not, we have not succeeded at doing X, Y, and Z. So we really, we communicate, we're in dialogue with them. We're constantly updated. So I definitely invite uh, them to check, up, uh, check our mission on our website. And it's Taka T-A-Q-A snacks. And as you say, lots of information on there. And I don't want to say guilt-free chocolate cookies, but, you know, yeah, they're, environmentally they're, it goes they're, they're on the way. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so, so much. Really appreciate your time shedding a bit of light on this. I think it's um, something we could all uh, all learn from. And as I said, make, make some informed choices and decisions as we, uh, as we walk around Spinneys and Waitress. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ellen. Bye-bye. Have a good day. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Meeting the chef, and today it is Chef Mauro Colagreco. He had recently welcomed back to the one and only Royal Mirage for the reopening of the Beach Bar and Grill and Celebrities, two iconic restaurants on Dubai's dining scene for many a year. And he joins us live on the line now. How are you, chef? Hi, Elaine. How are you? I am excellent. I say that with no irony or sarcasm at all. It's Friday afternoon. We've got lots to look forward to. The weather's a bit cooler the last couple of days, which means mm-hmm. it might be time to eat outside and maybe with you. How uh, How's your week going? <laughs> Dubai's feeling great, hey? Yes, yes. Dubai always is a great city. Plenty of energy and um, nice vibes. Uh, and I love this city. Well, you're bringing some Argentinian vibes to our sandy shores. Tell us about where you grew up and who was cooking and what were they making, chef? So I I grew in Argentina. I'm born in Argentina and I grew there. Uh, um, then, of course, uh, we, in a family uh, uh, with Italian roots. Mm. I'm growing into all these uh, flavors of the Mediterranean grills, Argentinian grills, and that gives me the um, the sense to 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 make my own uh, style and my my own uh, cuisine. 
So Argentinian food, I think immediately, as you say, grills, the asado. Um, for anyone who's not familiar with what that is and what it, what it can create, tell us about the asado grill. Uh, well, uh, the uh, the asado is uh, something who we grown with in Argentina. No, when you have uh, uh, two or three years, uh, you know, you already start to to, to smell to to see the the fathers, the, the great fathers, make fire and cook meats over the over the grill. Uh, so it's a lifestyle, no? It's a kind of lifestyle in Argentina. Every Sunday, uh, we uh, meet friends around uh, an asado. Um, I love yeah. that in so many countries, it is about that that grilling community. You know, as you're saying that that social side, and that could be obviously South Africa with the braai, um, Australia. I'm not going to say. England because we can barbecue for about five days of the year but you know for you with the asado <laughs> now the beach bar and grill has had a big revamp not only with the decor and I've seen photos and it looks stunning but with the food can yeah. you tell us about some of the new dishes on the menu chef uh, yes yes well the, we make a fantastic renovation and beach bar and grill you know this place with uh, something unique with a private beach uh, and we uh, rethink it all the all the menu. Uh, some of the dish, uh, the the dish is, uh, for example, the ceviche, the the crudo, the tuna crudo, um, the ojo de bife, who is a cat, a very Argentinian cat of meat, uh, and the bife de lomo as well. Mm, okay, all right, not fair. Not fair to be talking about dishes like that when I'm in the studio with no food or drink allowed around me for about 10 metres. And now you mentioned there, you know, Italian Argentine. How do you combine those cuisines and your influences that you've had in your life? Yes. It's, um, so, well, in, in, in Beach Bar and Grill, I express more my Argentinian roots. Uh, I, I wanted to to make it something feeling in 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 in, in south america uh, very very casual very tasty with a lot of flavors a uh, little bit of punchy of the of the um, the, the chilies uh, in some of the dish um, so there i focus more in my south american roots with all my background uh, in Argentina, uh, and of course some uh, some a little touch of some pasta or some risotto sometimes, um, who come very um, little by little. It's more the the grill, the fire, and all my uh, South American influence. Uh, but you know, I am very mixed uh, chef because I'm from Argentina with Italian roots. But my own restaurant is in France. Mm-hmm, so right. in celebrity, for example, in the in the um, fine dining restaurant uh, of of uh, Royal Mirage, we make more uh, the, the, the French cuisine. Uh, but of course, it's not a classic French cuisine. It's a, a French cuisine by my some of my signature dishes we make here in in Mirazur, 
And uh, you're being very you're being very modest about, about Marizur. This is your French restaurant um, on the Riviera, which back in 2019 was number one in the world's 50 best. So we are speaking yeah. to a master of his craft this afternoon. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. In conversation this afternoon with Chef Mauro Colagreco. He is there behind the Beach Bar and Grill and celebrities at the one and only Royal Mirage and taking us through the menu and some of his inspirations as well. And we were just talking about some of the grills that you have and Nadi's been in touch saying this sounds delicious, but yet to mm. have a good vegetarian or pescatarian barbecue or do Argentinian vegetarians not exist? Well, I've just taken the liberty of having a look at the menu, Nadia, and it's pretty darn delicious on the fish and seafood front. You've got wild giant prawns, you've got grills, lobster, sea bream, and, I mean, I would have this, and I'm a very dedicated carnivore, grilled leeks with green apple, lemon confit, parsley, and a sweet and sour dressing. So you're looking after our pescatarian, vegetarian friend, Chef. Is that important to you? It's important to make pleasure, my uh, my guests. You know, um, there are people like me who will love meat, but uh, I, I love as well to to eat a good vegetarian dish as well. Yes, and it's very important. It's very important to to be uh, access of that. Chef, you have been working all over the world. As I said, you have your own restaurant in, in France. And I know travel has been a bit difficult over the last couple of years, but every chef I speak to is so inspired by their their own holidays. And the holidays are often working holidays. You know, sometimes it's planning a whole trip about restaurants you want to go to or connecting with chefs. And you're not allowed to say Dubai. But apart from here... Where do you think is the ultimate foodie destination if someone wants to go and taste some of the best food in the world? Yes. Uh, so I am really impressed how uh, the, uh, the food market in Dubai growing this uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, my last trip when I was there, it was amazing how the, the, the richness of the variety and proposals uh, of different restaurants, so that is that is, is is great for the city, and of course it's great for the chef as me to to have all this influence of all around the world, Indian, French, Italian. Um, it's a really, really, really great. But if you're going to choose somewhere else, do you think there's a city that you know is a real ah. bucket list that you have to go to as a food lover or a chef? Oh. Without any doubts, is uh, Japan. I knew I it, love, Tokyo. <laughs> yes, I love. I love Japan uh, as a food destination. Uh, I was uh, lucky to to visit many many times Tokyo, Kaido, and Kyoto, uh, and the variety of food is really impressed, and the quality, of course of the product is one of the best in the world. Well, thank you for your travels and bringing all of your inspirations from home in Argentina to France, where you have uh, Mirzo, and of course, uh, your travels around the world here to Dubai. Um, thank you for making us very hungry this afternoon, Chef. You can find your thank food, you. as said, as Beach Bar and Grill and Celebrities. If we're going to come to eat at the Royal Mirage, um, that one and only stunning property over the weekend, is there just one dish you feel like we absolutely have to try? Oh, 
I love the raw fish, so the sea brain ceviche is one of the most beautiful dishes on um, Beach Brown. Sold. Sure. Chef Mara, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time on what is always a busy afternoon for chefs um, ahead, of a, you, ahead of a table service. Thank you so, so much. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. It is Friday and today marks the Hindu festival of colours called Holi. It is a celebration of good triumphing over evil and is celebrated with lots and lots of colour. Everyone getting equally messy, uh, no matter what their case, culture or religion. And of course, an Indian festival is not complete without delicious food. So today we have Divina Devecha joining, joining us. She is a digital editor at Spinney's and she's going to be getting our mouth watering with some of her top recipes and explain a little bit about some of the inspiration behind them. Happy Holy Divina, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? Happy Holy to you as well. I'm, I'm, I'm worried you're going to get me very hungry is how I am this afternoon. I might do. That's I fine. Might do. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, why, that's why you're here. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the festival as a whole? so to speak, um, and maybe explain something about the, the importance of the food aspect. Yeah, so um, Holi is, uh, like you said, it's an Indian festival, and it's either viewed as like a festival of colors or the festival of spring, because where it falls in the year is always um, kind of around the start of the spring harvest season. Um, so it, it mythologically has like, you know, context around, like you said, good triumphing over evil. So there's a lot of meaning to this festival. Um, and it's quite colorful. As I've said, you know, we celebrate in India with, you know, throwing colors on each other, either liquid or dry powder. Um, and it's just an excuse to gather with friends and family and, you know, eat lots of nice food and have fun. Okay. Oh, you, you've got me hooked already. Are there any kind of special dishes that you would only have around this festival? You know, I'm thinking about, you know, we have Eid or we have Christmas. And there are some things you'd really look forward to eating specifically at this time. Um, I think from like a savory perspective, you might have kind of your usual suspects from Indian street food that you would find here. Um, I don't know that there's a particular one um you know, connected to holy, but there's also sweets, which makes a big difference, um, which I want to talk about because yes. for me, like the sweet part of the meal is probably my favorite. Um, you always have a separate stomach for sweets, don't you? So for this, uh, during holy, you know, you have things like um, barfies um, and jalebis that, you know, play a big role into what we want to eat afterwards. Um, you have, uh, you know, lots of lassi um, as well, a buttermilk that you could have. Um, during the festival, um, but yeah, as long as you're you're happily full after a holy um, meal, then that's all that matters. Now you have done a, a, some great spins on some of those classic dishes, and being respectful, of course, to their origin and how much people love them, but some innovations and unexpected touches. Can we start with? waffles with a holy twist or should I say jalebi <laughs> with a waffly twist so for the um the jalebi uh waffles uh, what we've done is basically making the jalebis look a bit like the waffles we've got uh, a waffle line that you can use but if you don't have that you can also use a squeezy bottle or a disposable piping bag all you need to do is make sure you make the simple syrup but remember to add the cream of tartar on it because it's stops the, the syrup from crystallizing and also adds a tang to the syrup, which makes it like a little different. Um, 
And I also wanted to highlight that in the recipe, we use orange blossom water, but you can use any kind of floral water you like. Um, and once you're done with making the actual um, waffle mixture, essentially all you need to do is plunge it into like the syrup after it's deep fried um, and you can serve it with ice cream. So it, it's got like a nice crunchy uh, texture to it. And once you have it with any ice cream of your choice, it just makes for a really, really nice dessert. That sounds lovely. Could you have it as a snack or not or, or, or instead of a dessert I mean, any time? you really want to. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. There um, we go. <laughs> now, in, in many Indian dishes, but especially the sweets, nuts are used a lot. And you've yes. got a um, yes. pistachio kuju cutli. Have I said that right? Please do not be offended. Um, no. <laughs> no, you haven't. But it, it's kaju cutli. Kaju cutley. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Every day's a school day. Yeah. How are you using pistachio and what does it actually look like on the plate or the bowl or in your hand? Right, so um, I'll deal with the nut question first. So kaju actually means cashew. Um, so normally a kaju cutley is just made with cashew like as the most basic version of this dish. Um, and then the pistachio that we've used in this, also called pista in our language, um, gives it a green fl- uh, color um, and also obviously adds that pistachio flavor to it. Um, you can be quite innovative with kaju kakli. Like you can uh, use different nuts in it. It doesn't have to be cashew, but cashew has to be there as a base to make it, you know, what it is. Um, in terms of how it looks, this is the fun part. You can actually cut it in any shape you like. Um, I would say traditionally you would find these in diamond shapes, but you can have them as squares. Um, you can have them as, I don't know, triangles, do whatever you want. <laughs> um, but yeah, traditionally I would say diamonds is what um, you'll find, and that's how we've uh, kind of photographed them for, for the magazine as well in diamond shape. And what kind of color do they come out as? Have they got that kind of pistachio green? Is it more of a neutral? Yeah. So at the bottom, you're going to see the pistachio green. But at the top, because in the recipe and also traditionally, you use edible silver leaf for decorating. Mm -hmm. The top will be silver and then the sides and the bottom will be green. Yeah. It just adds a lovely color and um, really nice flavor. So almost that interplay between green and silver looks wonderful on the plate. This sounds this sounds fantastic. And this sounds like something that would be a really lovely gift, actually, as well, if you were to make yeah. it and box it up for somebody. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it definitely uh, makes for a great gift. Um, and if it's cut up beautifully in nice shapes, I mean, that's nothing like it. And everyone likes a bit of edible silver, so, you know, why not? <laughs> yes, we do. Okay, now we're back <laughs> to waffles. Not just any waffles. Yes. Funfetti waffle cone barfi. Tell us more, because it sounds like a celebration. Yes, it does. So barfi is actually an Indian sweet again. Um, and the word actually comes from the word barf, which means snow. Um, and I'm not entirely sure why it's related to this dessert, but that's what the word comes from. And you can make barfi with like, again, any kind of um, flavors. You can put in the pistachio, put in the cashew and so on. Um, before I get to our waffle one, I would say one of my indulgences is a chocolate barfi, which you can find in some stores and make it yourself. Um, it's it's just perfect. Like, I don't know why no one invented that. Like, <laughs> I don't know why they're not all chocolate. <laughs> I mean, it's delicious. Um, but uh, <laughs> our version uh, is kind of like, a little tricky only because there's a bit of like um, measurements that you need to make sure it hits the right temperature. But once you hit that, oh my God, it's beautiful because it almost layers of barfi with waffle and then barfi with waffle and then sprinkled over with funfetti just to add that pop of color. Um, so it is a little demanding dish, but it is rewarding as well at the end. 
And t- talk to me about the about funfetti. Are we adding sprinkles? Yes, yes, we are. <laughs> good. Well, this is good. We want color, right? Color. Yes, exactly. It adds a lot of color because you've got barfi, which is traditionally quite can be beige mm-hmm. um, or yeah, cream. So, and then that with the waffle, it's all quite brown and beige. And this is holy. We need it to be colorful. So, sprinkles it is. Fantastic. And I think about chocolate bark being a very festive thing, but you've done a bit of a. Well, tell us what, uh, what muk is. How do I even pronounce it? Mukwas. I've never yeah. heard this before. I'm sure I've seen it, but I've, I have got no association in my mind. So forgive my ignorance. Can you explain what you it might, is? Yeah, sure. You might have actually seen mukwas at um, a few Indian restaurants. So after a meal, usually if you get like a bowl of, I don't know, like these seeds of colorful yes. looking things, yes, yes, that's yes. mukwas. Yes, that's mukwas. So mukwas actually translates directly into mouth smell um, and it basically means um, eating something that is an after meal like digestive or a mouth freshener so normally they're made out of fennel usually as kind of the main ingredient but you can have other seeds or nuts in it as well um, so in this one we've just added mukhlas, um on like what a white baking chocolate mm-hmm. to just contrast with the sweetness of it. So you've got like that kind of almost fennel taste uh, contrasting with sweet white chocolate. Um, but you can use milk or dark chocolate as well, obviously. You can do it with any kind of chocolate. Uh, this was just, you know, it shows up the sprinkles a lot more. It adds like a really nice pop of color. Um, but yeah, it's great as an, you know, after meal snack. That sounds absolutely, and it looks beautiful as well. And we spoke yeah. recently to the amazing Caitlin, who was here taking photos for Spinney's magazine. Yes. And well, I mean, just a wonderful, wonderful job. And you can see her work in, in the upcoming Nourish. But I've said it before and I'll say it again. When food photography is done well, it makes you so hung, so hungry. When it's done badly, yes. it makes you never want to eat again. <laughs> so, yeah, but when it's done beautifully, like oh, it is good. It's, it's a job hazard because you always want to eat. <laughs> Yeah, abs- oh, well, it's holy. It's fine. We're absolutely fine. So are you going to be celebrating over the weekend at all? Um, I might go and see my family and have a few sweets, yeah. Get, you need to get cooking. You need to get yourself into the kitchen, <laughs> getting some silver leaf on things and uh, yeah, having definitely. an amazing time. Well, thank you for being with us today. Um, all of this can be found in the current issue of Nourish, which has got a massive celebratory theme, whether it is Mother's Day, which is... Quick mm-hmm. reminder to anyone out there and men, I'm looking at you. Mother's Day is Monday. Um, we've also just been marking St. Patrick's Day yesterday um, and loads coming up over the next couple of weeks. So thank you for your time, Divina. Really, really appreciate it. Happy Holy. Thank you. Happy Holy to you as well. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai I 103.8.